Open your Bibles, if you will, to the fourth chapter of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4 and beginning in verse 35. Mark 4, beginning in verse 35. And on that day, when evening had come, he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him, and they said unto him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey Him. When Ernest Hemingway was wounded in World War I, doctors picked 237 pieces of shrapnel from his body. As you can imagine, it was an experience that he would never forget. It wasn't the pain that stayed with him as long as the memory of the nearness of death. And so it would be from his personal encounter, coming face to face with death, Hemingway would derive a formula that he would use in all of his novels. For Hemingway came to believe that only when a man stares death in the face, only then does he find the true measure of his character. Only then does he find how strong he really is. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been said that adversity introduces a man to himself. And that's true. Trials don't make or break us. Let me say that again. Trials don't make or break us. Trials reveal who we really are. And trials will reveal the truth about your faith and how shallow it is or how strong it is. But that's not just with us. That happened to be true for the twelve men Jesus chose to be His personal ambassadors. The twelve apostles. And as Jesus taught them, they became great students in the classroom. And they would listen eagerly, sitting at the feet of the Master as He taught. They would respond favorably to His questions. Jesus would ask them questions and they would answer them. Jesus would teach them lessons and they would ponder the great truths He taught. But ladies and gentlemen, life is not lived in the controlled environment of a classroom. Life is lived on windswept seas. Life is lived in the pressure cooker of daily situations that are constantly changing, can become very scary and very stormy. 
so stormy that at times you and I think that we're not going to make it. As I read this text in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, I look into the faces of 12 men who didn't think they were going to make it. But only when they came face to face with death, only then did they understand. And here's what they came to understand. How quickly faith can turn to fear. And how quickly a life of calm can become chaotic. You see, ladies and gentlemen, on a stormy night on the Sea of Galilee, twelve men thought that they had met their end. But on a stormy night on the Sea of Galilee, twelve men met their Maker. And they met their Master. And they met the only one who can bring calm to the storm. Lord, they asked Him, In verse 38, do you not care that we are perishing? Folks, they were worriers. They were worriers. But before we come down too hard on them, are we not worriers too? I know that Jesus said, do not be anxious. I know the Apostle Paul wrote and he said, be anxious for nothing. I can read those verses just like you. But that's easier said than done, especially when your life is in the middle of a storm. But it's in the middle of the storm that your faith has to count for something. In fact, it's in the middle of the storm that your faith has to count for everything. How easy it is to allow our worries to obliterate our faith. I know people that worry away their lives. They worry about their past. They allow their past to hijack their peace of mind in the present. And I know people that worry about the future who are constantly painting, what if this happens and what if that happens? And I know people who worry about the present. I know they worry about the present because they're never content with anything they have. Now, folks, if we worry about the past and we worry about the future and we're worried about the present, what's left? You've seen the sign. You've seen the, the print hanging on many a wall. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can change and the what? Wisdom to know the difference. There's some things I can't change. I can't go back and erase the board. But God can. God can. Sometimes the one that we fail to forgive is self. And sometimes I think we worry about that. We worry about the fact, will God forgive me? Here I go. Here I am again. Back at the well of forgiveness. Will, does God even want to hear from me? Will God forgive me? 
He can and He will. Is that not the message of the Gospel? Is that not the story of the power of His grace in the cross? Is that not why Jesus told the story of the prodigal son? Is that not one of the reasons we had the example of Saul of Tarsus and Peter on Pentecost? Is that not the embodiment of the entire Gospel message? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, life is hard. And some days it gets harder. And we allow those worries to come in and those anxieties and those fears. And if you let them, they will take over your life. They will monopolize your thoughts. And they will sink your ship if you let them. Anybody here today battling worries over health issues? Or maybe you're battling worries over family concerns or personal fears of one kind or the other. Anybody here been on the receiving end of the judge's gavel when he says, divorce granted? Anybody here been on the receiving end of a medical diagnosis that when it comes your way, you just sit in shock because you cannot believe what you're hearing? Anybody here struggling with depression? Anybody here who've had to say goodbye to a loved one recently? Am I supposed to stand here and pretend that we don't hurt? Am I supposed to pretend that because we're Christians, we don't have to face those kinds of things? Folks, that's not real. Christians are not immune from life. And Christians are not immune from the worries and the anxious moments of life. We get itchy fingers like everybody else. We press the panic button sometimes. We want everything to be fixed. We want all of the nasty and the heartache and the heartbreak to just go away. It doesn't work that way. Somebody gave me an easy button from Staples. You ever seen those? They're obnoxious. And I had that button in my office for the longest time because the little children would like to come in and they would press that button. And all it says is, that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. Over and over and over again. Till I finally hid the button. Don't you wish life were that simple to just press a button and somebody says, that was easy, and all of the hardship just disappears? It's not that simple. It wasn't simple for 12 men following Jesus either. Because I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, those 12 men thought they were going to die. In fact, this whole scene in Mark chapter 4 vibrates within the context of faith. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus taught the parable of the sower. And one of the points from that lesson was how sometimes we allow the worries of the world to choke the Word so much so that it becomes unfruitful. Do you see that in verse 19 of chapter 4? The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, enter in and it chokes the Word. And that story 
was how sometimes the lack of our faith allows that to happen. And then in verse 26 and verse 27, Jesus teaches the parable of the little seed. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the ground. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprouts up and it grows. And how himself he does not know. Every farmer understands how that works, that you put the seed in the ground and then you just have to wait and have faith. Then Jesus taught the parable of the mustard seed, beginning in verse 30. Tiny little seed, huge tree. And the message again was one of faith. As Jesus taught these lessons, the twelve listened. And the messages of Jesus sounded great in the classroom. The messages of Jesus were working well in a lecture hall, in a Bible class, we would say. But what would happen to the words of Jesus if you take them outside of the classroom and apply them in some real life situations? Look at verse 35 where we began. And on that day when evening had come, he said unto them, let us go over to the other side. You know what I wrote out beside that verse? Field trip. Field trip. Jesus is taking His men out of the classroom and on a field trip. And leaving the multitudes, they took Him along with them as He was in the boat, and other boats were with them. Now, there's something you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. It's more like a huge lake. It's 13 miles long, and it's only 8 miles across. That's not the big deal. The big deal is it's 600 feet below sea level. One writer says, it is understandable when the cool currents come down from Mount Hermon on the north end of the Sea of Galilee at over 13,000 feet. The wind comes through the narrow passes and crosses Galilee. He says the downrush can be impetuous. The violent winds whipped the sea into a fury. And that's what happened, verse 37. There arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. Hold your finger there and go to Matthew's account in chapter 8 and verse 24. Matthew adds a little different wording, but paints a picture that helps us to better grasp the situation. Matthew 8 and verse 24. And behold, there arose... A great storm. The word great, ladies and gentlemen, is the word mega. Mega. And the word storm is the word seismic. Seismic. And so what you have there, behold a great storm. Matthew is saying, this wasn't your ordinary storm. This storm was mega seismic. So much so that the boat was covered with the waves. The point is this. These men had seen storms on the Sea of Galilee before, but they have not seen a storm like this one. Not of this magnitude. And these are no Johnny-come-lately weekend pleasure boaters. This is Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen. They were rugged. They knew every square inch of the Sea of Galilee. These men weren't used to panic. 
And yet they had never seen anything like this. In fact, verse 37 says, the boat was filling up. Ladies and gentlemen, if the boat is filling up, what that means is they're going down. And where is Jesus in all of this? Verse 38. He was asleep. Asleep. On the cushion. Are you a sound sleeper? Some people can sleep through anything. I've had people tell me, I don't see how anybody could ever sleep through one of your sermons. They do. In fact, I've had people come out and shake my hand and say, Brother Adams, that was one of the best sermons I believe I've ever heard, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know why you're telling me that because you slept through the whole thing. See, Mitch Davis is not going to tell you this. This is a secret that is highly guarded among preachers. So I'm going to blow his cover. And I'm going to reveal to you the secret that preachers will not tell you. Are you ready? Here it is. We can see you. And so when you fall asleep, we know. Where was Jesus? He's asleep, the text says. And so they come to him in verse 38 and they call for him and they're saying, in essence, teacher, 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 wake up. In verse 39, being aroused, he rebuked the wind and he said, hush and be still. Now, notice the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. May I suggest to you, if the storm got the attention of Peter and Andrew and James and John and all of the others, it was nothing compared to what happened next. Everything became perfectly calm. And Jesus turned and looked into the faces of those fearful men, fearful just as we are, and He asked them a question they would never forget in verse 40. The New American Standard says, why are you so timid? That is a terrible translation. Because when we think of timid, we think of shy or bashful. That's not what he's asking them. He's not asking them, why are you so shy? He's saying, he uses the word that can be translated coward. He's saying to them, why are you so cowardly? Why are you so afraid? Why are you filled with panic? Do you not understand who I am? And at that moment, on upon a sea that was perfectly calm, at that moment, the only movement upon the sea was a boat that is rocking because of the shaking of 24 knees who said in verse 41, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Let me leave you with three things I want you to remember. 
three things I want you to remember. Do you have something some place to write down? Get, get out the bulletin from this morning or find a blank page in your Bible. I want you to write down these three simple things. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it does us no good to study this Scripture or any other if we don't make some point of application. This has to speak to us. It has to tell us something that will help us. What is it? What does the Lord want me to see from this? Number one. i tell you what I learned. I learned that calm, calm can quickly turn to storm. What happened on a simple crossing across the Sea of Galilee is a picture of your life. One moment everything is going well and everything is fine and serene. And the next moment there comes a knock at your door. There comes a letter in the mail. There comes a call on the phone. And in a matter of just seconds, your whole world comes crashing down. You see, if that hasn't happened to you, all that means is you haven't lived long enough because it will. The storms come. And that says to me, the time to prepare for the coming of storms is before you get in it. The time to deepen the roots of your faith is right now because the day will come. You will need those roots to be deep. I used to love whitewater rafting. Anybody else like that? I said I used to. Then I got some sense. Several years ago, I was whitewater rafting in western Pennsylvania. The river was the Yakahaney River, and it was known for some great rapids to run. And so we're in a group of boats and we're going down the river and we'd run all of these rapids and we'd done very, very well. And then we reached a certain point in the river and the guides pulled all of the boats out of the river. And they said, we're fixing to, we're going to raft the, the, the toughest uh, rapid on the whole river. And so we need to, we need to let you rest a few minutes. We need to give you some instructions for a few minutes before we get back in the river and run this rapid. And so they set us all down on the shore and they said to us these words. There are seven things you have to remember before we run this rapid. Seven things. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding. I don't remember seven things. They said seven things you have to know before we run this rapid. Rule number one, don't panic. Whatever happens, don't panic. Number two, be ready for anything. Just be on the alert. Be ready. Number three, don't panic. Don't panic. Number four, if you end up in the water, just lie back. Let that Coast Guard preserver take you over. And whatever you do, get your toes up in the air where you can see them. Number five, don't panic. Number six, just ride the river. You pay good money for this. Just ride the river. And number seven, don't panic. Well, by then we're all scared to death. 
And of all of the boats, they put ours back in the river first. And our guide was a cocky college kid. And we hadn't any more got out into the river when he said these words, and I quote, I have never flipped a boat before. And I'm thinking to myself, that's dumb. Why did you tell us that? And he hadn't any more said those words that we hit that rapid and we hit the rock we weren't supposed to hit. And our boat went airborne and turned upside down. And every one of us is in the water. I'm in water over my head. I can't seem to get to the surface quickly. And they always say when you're in situations like that, your life flashes before your eyes. It didn't happen. All I can remember thinking was... Don't lose your car keys. Don't lose your car keys. And I finally popped up like a cork. And that's when I remembered the seven things. And that's when I kicked back and I said, I gotta see my toes. I gotta see my toes. And I got my toes up in the air. And I rode that river. And I came out of that thing bloodied and bruised. And I finally made it to a rock. And I looked back at all those other boats and those other people still standing on the shore. They were wanting to go home. Don't panic. Don't panic. Remember Captain Sullenberger? Remember what he did at the controls of that U.S. Airways jet? Remember how he set that thing down just as smooth as silk right in the middle of the Hudson River? In fact, when he called, when he called air control and told them what he was going to have to do, there was absolutely zero emotion in his voice. He was as calm as you could be. And somebody asked him in an interview after that how he was able to do that. And he said, well, it was simple. I have trained for that moment all of my life. That's when the training just kicked in. And because he didn't panic, every one of his passengers walked away. Is the same principle not true of us, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to our faith? When it comes to the storms of life? Don't panic. The second thing I want to leave you with in regard to this is that God's silence doesn't mean that He's not concerned. God's silence does not mean He's not concerned. God may not immediately calm the storm in your life. On this occasion, Jesus arose and He said, Hush, peace, be still. But that's not always going to happen. Sometimes He may allow the storm to rage for a while. Sometimes you may even have to abandon ship. That is, you may have to abandon your plan. But you can't abandon Him. And if you end up in the water and it's over your head, don't panic. He'll throw you a lifeline. And that lifeline will be a prayer connection straight 
to His throne. That lifeline will be a Bible verse that will speak to your heart and that will calm your spirit. That lifeline will be a brother or sister in Jesus Christ who will put their arm around you and tell you how much they love you and how much they're praying for you and lifting you up before the throne of God. God's silence does not mean He's unconcerned. And last, the storm can only be calmed by the Savior. The storm can only be calmed by the Savior. We try to do it all. We see the storm coming. We see the hard times approaching. And we try to take in the sail. And we try to row harder and harder and harder. And we try to bail faster and faster and faster. We act as if everything depends upon us. And it doesn't. What is it the psalmist says in Psalm 46 and verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. Only Jesus can calm the storm that is raging in your life. I tell you what all of us need to do. We need to take our bailing buckets and the sooner that we lay down those bailing buckets and get on our knees, the sooner we will find peace and the sooner we will find calm. May God help us to take our lives and place them in His hands and allow Him to calm us as only He can do. I hope something has been said this morning that's been encouraging to you. Because all of us go through this. We'll talk more this week, but you're not the only one. Sometimes I think we think we are. Because we look around and we see each of us and we're... We look good. On the outside, what is it people say? We, we clean up well. Even, even Phil Barnes doesn't look too bad this morning. We clean up well on the outside. But that's the problem. We look at each other on the outside and we think to ourselves, those folks don't understand. They don't know. They haven't gone through the hardship which I'm facing. And while hardships may be different specifically, I will tell you a little secret this morning. You are sitting around a bunch of hurting people. Amen? We are hurting people. And we are all in the same boat together. But I am so happy and thrilled that Jesus is in the same boat. He understands. May God help us to hold on to our faith and never let it go.